Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Your story isn't finished. Virginia Woolf once said, if you do not tell the truth about yourself, you cannot tell it about other people. Let me repeat that. If you do not tell the truth about yourself, you cannot tell it about other people. That is rather scary if you think about it. Four years ago, I went through a life-changing, radical, character-defining, unnerving transition. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was because I'm not ready to get that vulnerable. But I will say to you, I am not the same person as I was four years ago. I thought it was just a choice until every day I found something out that was new about myself. Here's what's strange about that. Of all the things in life I might have doubted, one thing I did not doubt was that I was the world's number one expert in John Bash. Nobody knew me as well as I knew me. How could they? Isn't that rather self-evident? I once heard a woman say, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. Now, I'm not quite that bad, but I did claim to have a certain amount of self-awareness. My share of psychology classes, uh, two graduate degrees, was a minister for 25 years with more than a few therapy sessions of my own. Doesn't that qualify me to know myself? In short, the answer is no. Have you ever heard the question, would you rather be happy or right? Most people ask this, expecting it to be rhetorical. I have the kind of brain which doesn't work so well with such questions. Right or happy? Hmm, doesn't this open up the possibility to be a happy idiot? Let's not dismiss right too quickly, right? I'm particularly appreciative of people who can come into such pondering and help me to think about life differently. Their way to truth is not nearly propositional as I would like. It's much more sensitive and caring, usually includes some fun stories along the way. And today we have such a person. Brian Mann is an artist, communicator, churchman, and currently holds the title of Story Ninja at City Coast Creative in Sonoma, California. Welcome, Brian Mann, to Church Hurts and. Thank you so much. It's very good to be with you. Brian, before I start picking your brain about the power of story, I want to hear a part of your story that took you from the creative world into church. There has to be a story in that. There's always a story. I was raised on the front pew of a church. My dad was a pastor uh, my entire life. So um, I started playing piano when I was really young. So I played piano in church. In high school, I started composing music. I decided I wanted to 
moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I went to USC, attended their film scoring program there, learned how to write music for film and television. And then my senior year in college, uh, I had a, a fairly traumatic house fire. I got out okay, um, but uh, it was it was a very painful experience, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was suffering through a lot of PTSD in the months following that. And LA became a very sort of lonely and isolating place for me. And the church I was attending uh, in Pasadena uh, near LA at the time was so supportive. Um, the church uh, small group that I was a part of really rallied around me and helped bring me back to life. And so I got more involved in the church there. Uh, I joined their music staff uh, a year later as an organist and uh, was working in Hollywood during the week, uh, doing music production and film and TV scores. And on the weekend was playing the organ and uh, writing music for the church. And then a year after that, got the invitation to come into full-time ministry on staff uh, at a church here in the Bay Area, Menlo Park. It's now called Menlo Church, but it was Menlo Park Presbyterian Church uh, back in the day. So yeah, that started a 20 plus year journey of full-time creative ministry and music production, film production. I worked in conference uh, work uh, in Europe for a while. Um, And then a lot of just what I would call visual storytelling, capturing people's stories on film. So yeah, that was my way into ministry. You know, I so associate you with cutting edge work in the church. It's just hard to imagine you as an organist, Uh, (laughs) but you were really the pure, uh, the pure musician. And I, I think it's just fascinating where you've moved from there, but you know um, you know, our listeners really should know that Brian was a consultant for me when I was thinking about doing this show and he helped me clarify part of what I wanted to do. Um, Part of our brand script includes the line, the problem is that you've likely been hurt by church, which can leave you feeling resentful and disillusioned, creating roadblocks on your spiritual journey. Brian, that's our brand script, but is that part of your story too? Have you been hurt by the church and little resentful or disillusioned? In short, yes, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's impossible to be in ministry for any amount of uh, amount of time, any length of time, and not experience some kind of hurt or disappointment. Um, years ago, I was hired uh, at a large church as a creative director. I loved this church. Uh, my wife and I were excited to go there. It was a passionate church. It was growing, and uh, I was brought on uh, in leadership to oversee several different teams and we had hired a staff person as part of uh, the process who had come uh, on board with the church. He was very uh, upfront. He was on stage a lot and super talented guy and uh, really believed in him and uh, enjoyed leading him. But there were just some some real insecurities and problems there uh, from the get go. And he was somebody who did a lot of politicking. He a year in, he sort of got my boss fired. Um, without much explanation. And then uh, a couple months after that, I was on a uh, mission trip out of the country and he lobbied behind my back uh, to the senior pastor. I don't want to work for Brian anymore. I'd rather work for you. And uh, so we kind of figured that one out and I felt like, all right, fine. You know, something you should understand about me. And I think I learned this in Hollywood is my tendency is to be a harmonizer, to be a peacemaker. Um, I think I was taught early on you know, be a good guy, be somebody who's easy to hang out with, you know, in Hollywood, we'd spend 12, 14, 16 hours a day in the studio. And so it's not enough to just be talented and do good work, like be, be an agreeable person. So 
that really helped me professionally, but it hindered me emotionally because I, I just, in these <laughs> really painful scenarios, kept saying, well, that's fine. I guess, you know, I've just, I kind of explained my way through it. Uh, and then a year after that, the same staff person lobbied to get my staff out from under me, under him. And leadership kind of went along with it and gave me some sort of BS <laughs> explanation as to why that was. And if you had asked me at the time, like, do you feel hurt? Do you feel betrayed? I probably would have given you the sort of, ah, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. You know, I'll just go focus on my work. But it took me a long time to realize how much pain I was actually in. And I was angry at my leadership for allowing this to happen. I was angry at this guy for essentially betraying me. Um, but I think I was angriest at myself for being so trusting and putting my trust in, in people. And um, I wish I'd had that kind of clarity at the time, but I didn't. So I put my head down. I decided to stay at the church, try to do good work. But the more I managed that pain, um, the more I just found myself getting cynical and sort of passive aggressive, which is, <laughs> which is my, a lot of humor. I'm Italian and very sarcastic. So that's kind of my coping mechanism. So a couple of months later, I got the chance to attend uh, a creative retreat out here in California uh, with a guy named Donald Miller. He was hosting a retreat called Storyline. And it was essentially kind of a way, a framework for figuring out what story you're actually living. And, wait, wait uh, Brian, Brian, let me yeah. interrupt you. Let me interrupt yeah. you for a second. Because your story, as you started it, yeah, I actually started to get defensive of the church. <laughs> and here I, here I am, right? Church hurts and And yet the reason is because you just started to talk about somebody who was behaving politically. Yeah. And, and isn't that one of the top reasons we hear people say, but the church is so, so political. And I want to stop and say, really, like every other organization, because really isn't kind of political, meaning how we try to negotiate with other people. And I don't care yeah. if it's a church your country club or, yeah. you, you know, your business, you name it, but yeah. people expect church to be different, don't they? Well, and I, I guess I should have as well. I mean, I was raised by a pastors uh, by a pastor. So I kind of had the inside track. I, I didn't have hugely idealistic fairy tale Pollyanna <laughs> expectations of church, but still when it happens to you, and the politicking affects you. I, I, you know, I think people are, are generally trying to be in control of their life. That's what politics is. Um, and so they want to engineer a situation where they come out ahead. And, and that's, that's essentially what happened to me. But it, it does happen in the church. Um, and it's, I think it's just more complicated in the church because it involves, you know, we use words like family and welcome home. And you know what I mean? But if you've, if you experience that kind of hurt or betrayal, then maybe that hurts even more than if it was a political thing where it's mostly about theory and ideas. And this is about God and forgiveness and unconditional love and for, you know, letting things go <laughs> so that it just gets real complicated. I think uh, when you're a professional Christian. So I was just, I was numb to the pain that I was in and um yeah, this conference was essentially just gave me some clarity in terms of finding a meaningful perspective on that pain. And what Don Miller was actually doing was a version of what's called logotherapy. It was developed by Viktor Frankl, Vini psychologist uh, during the age of Freud. And Freud basically said, man's, you know, man will always move towards pleasure. Um, that's sort of what man does. And Frankl said, no, man moves towards meaning. And if he can't find meaning, then he'll distract himself with pleasure. 
Um, the chief aim is to find meaning in life. Uh, and so I walked through this framework in a couple of days that all of a sudden gave me a little bit of a, a meaningful perspective on the story I was in. And suddenly I had a little bit of clarity. And to me, that was like breathing oxygen again for the first time in a long time. It brought me back to life, but it also helped me say, okay, I'm angry. <laughs> I'm upset. Like it wasn't a quick fix for the pain, um, but it, it gave me so much redemptive perspective on actually here's what God's calling you to do. Sort of here's the big story that you're, um, that you're living out. So I, that was helpful for me. I came back from that. Um, I started a storytelling team at our church that grew really large, really quickly. Uh, we became, I think, in that church, a culture of storytelling. Uh, I wrote a book. I started teaching at conferences. I started a Facebook group that grew to about 2,500 churches, just talking about storytelling and kind of like we're doing today. Um, but that really, you know, grew out of that painful um, part of, of of my story, which is just feeling sidelined and feeling like it was over. And God saying, "No, no, no, it's not over. There's, I have more for you. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm going to take you away and show that to you." And I've chosen to stay in relationship with all those leaders. They've all on their own come back and apologized and said, look, we screwed this up. Um, you know, we were dealing with this or there was, you know, a, a lot of other issues involved, but they on their own came to me and I, I left that part to God and I just stayed in my story. And I think that's probably why I'm not still quite as, <laughs> quite as ticked <laughs> off at all that as I was at the time, because it was, it was really, really hard. Before I get more out of you, let me just take a break to mention Standing Stone Ministry. Um, Standing Stone cares for the frontline workers in the spiritual world, uh, ministers, missionaries, recovery specialists. Uh, We provide an arm to lean on, an ear to listen, understanding from experience with unceasing prayer for those who give their lives to the spiritual nurture of other people like we've been talking about. This is all done with no cost to them because of your faithful gifts. I'm one of those shepherds who relies upon your support, and so we humbly ask you to consider giving today. Just go to churchhurtsand.org and click the Donate button. Find out how you can help today, and please prayerfully consider marking that box which says you'd like to make it a regular gift. Your generosity means more than you know, and we promise to squeeze every penny. Uh, and with that um, crass commercial, uh, it really isn't, is it? I mean, how much these people we're talking about behind their backs in a way, how much help they need, right, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. They all, yeah, we all need help for sure. Um, would you um, tell me about that passion that you've just, you know, really kind of your passion for storytelling ended up becoming your story itself, you saw how much it helped you. So there's almost a sense in which you don't, you really don't get to go to work because you love what you're doing every day, don't you? I do. I mean, it is a lot of work, uh, especially filmmaking, because you each story is different and it's unique and you want to uh, sort of be true to it. I heard uh, Richard Rohr say one time um, that the truth sets you free, but it'll make you miserable before it sets you free. (laughs) And uh, I always kind of look for truth telling and storytelling. I think it's the best part. Um, Brene Brown once said that when you get honest about your story, you get to help write the ending. Um, And I'm a true believer in that anytime a person or an organization or a church wants to do that honestly, I'm absolutely in. 
And uh, I always tell people, especially individuals who have not only endured pain and pushed through it, but found some sort of meaningful perspective. I always tell people there's something in your story that someone else needs to hear. Uh, and I really do believe that. I think stories have a way of inviting us in. Uh, they clarify things. We discover truth and we see beauty in other people's stories. And then that helps us kind of put a puzzle piece in our own sort of story and say, you know what, that gets me thinking, or maybe I need to have a conversation. And I think we're just always looking for truth and beauty. Uh, I think we're kind of created to do that. And so when we encounter that uh, in another person's story, <clears throat> I think it's fundamentally helpful for us. For mm. sure. I was thinking of the churches that you've worked with, because, you know, I know some of them, and you've worked with some big, really growing churches. And a lot of churches aren't like that. But for those who have the experience of being part of, of churches that are growing fast, that's one side of the story that people see, but they also tend to have what we call big back doors. Um, yeah. Isn't that the source of pain? What's your been your experience <laughs> with the back door? Oh, the back door. <clears throat> yeah, we're always supposed to have a big front door in um, in churches, and we've I've been in a lot of strategy sessions about the back door for sure. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I I think that. I think there's a magnetic energy that comes from a growing church. <clears throat> I've been in one, you've been, you know, part of several, I'm sure. And there's just this excitement and there's this purpose and community and connection. And there's nothing really like it. I mean, people, people fall in love with how that makes them feel. And I would say that the quickest way to get your heart broken <laughs> is to fall in love with the way something makes you feel. And I think this happens in churches a lot, especially large churches, there's these sky high expectations. Um, there's these just great feelings that we have of being there that are amazing. It's almost like puppy love in a relationship. It's just, you know, pastor can do no wrong. And the worship's amazing. And I love the kids program. And oh my gosh, they're working with this, you know, social issue that I super, you know, am passionate about. And uh, it's just unsustainable. It's not bad, but I think churches have gotten very good it just sort of, you know, being the sort of church you want to be a part of. I mean, I think that's a lot of the church growth movement has taught churches um, ways to do that. And so I used to think the back door was kind of unavoidable. And now I think it's, uh, it's just, you know, as churches have learned capitalism, it's just we've, there's supply and demand, we, we figure out what people want, and we just kind of move our environments towards that. And I don't, again, I don't think that's bad. Uh, but I do think it sets people up for some disappointment and, uh, you know, people are always at some point going to let you down. And if you were just hinging that whole relationship on the puppy love phase <laughs> of, of a really great church, um, then yeah, but, and I'm not saying like, there are always good reasons. If the church is toxic, if a church is, um, you know, if, if there's something that's fundamentally hurting, harming people, it's always a good idea to move on. Um, and to find some healing too, because I think as we talked about, that gets really complicated in people's lives because it's family and it's community and God and everything. But I, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, the back door is just part of, I, I think we've just factored it in some, some ways to church growth. Um, but it really ends up harming people. And I think when there's all that pain interwoven into your story, it's hard. I'm fine. A lot of the people that I work with are younger they're creatives. They've been on staff at church and now mostly either don't want much to do with it at all 
but when you really get down to the pain level, it's what the organization did or what the person did, but there's still a longing to connect with God, whoever God might be, or Jesus, you know, who I, who I see, but who I don't see reflected in this organization. Um, and so when you really kind of get down underneath the, the pain level, um, there's still that spiritual longing, but yeah, it, it's, if you've been through the back door, if you've left in a huff or after a big conflict, or you've been, you know, stepped on one too many times. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough for people. Church hurts. Uh, yeah. Let, let me ask you this another way. Cause you actually, they gave you a title of pastor. Even you came in, but different church structures, you didn't have to go through seminary and all that. They just kind of said, nah, you're one of those, but let's make a distinction between that and I know the name above the back door. Yeah. And it happens to be it's the same name that's over top the front door. And we might say we don't want it, but it's the senior pastor. Mm-hmm. It's not the church staff. And I mean, I'll never forget the probably the most successful church plant I ever did. You know, it was great. It was so fun. The spirit was so positive. All those things that happened but everybody was obsessed over the back door and, and my name was above it. You know, people just blame me for that back door. And yeah. a couple of years after I had left there, I was talking to somebody in the church and they said, uh, and I, I didn't talk to many people. I really gave the next guy is all the room, yeah. but they, they, I said, what, so what are you doing? They said, Oh, well, I'm on a committee to deal with the back door. And it was so hard for me, not just sarcastically to say, you still have a back. I thought I left. I thought I was the reason for the back door. <laughs> anyway, let me bring this, to, <laughs> let me bring this around because I really do have a protectiveness to certain senior pastors. Um, and even this morning I was watching, there's a special on Sandra Day O'Connor coming out, you know, the first Supreme court justice and just broke so many glass ceilings for women. And she's had this huge life of just groundbreaking stuff. But when asked about the kind of the number one thing of pain for her, was the public scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like for senior pastors, that issue of pub- public scrutiny, where they just do stupid things because they're longing for privacy. Does, mm-hmm. does that make any sense? Yeah, I think so. And I, again, I think, you know, and again, I, I, I do believe in leaders living above reproach. I think we live in a particularly sort of shaming culture these days. Um, where we, when, when someone somewhere has decided that you're no longer the person that should be there, there can be an army mounted up to sort of cancel you and take you out of the equation. And um, again, sometimes there are very valid reasons, um, but oftentimes uh, I think just because you're a spiritual leader, but also an organizational leader, but also a counselor, but also a teacher, but also, but also, but also, uh, I think we have just stacked the expectations because we've stacked the job title up with all things to all people. And that's one thing if it's 50 people, I mean, that's hard. Uh, I couldn't be all things to 50 people, but I could try. But if it's 5,000 or 50,000, um, then yeah, I, I think there's a, you start to really disconnect with what one person can actually do. And yeah, I, I, you create a really challenging situation. And then all of a sudden when that person fails, oh my gosh, what happened? Like, how could this have, you know, how could they have, <laughs> how they have messed up? You know, how could somebody who, you know, we trusted have an affair? Well, pastoring can be a very intimate thing. Um, and in some ways, past, pastors misread things or make a horrible decision and that ends their career or, 
you know, suddenly you have power when you didn't have power before and you were a church planter, but now you're a big deal pastor and that power changes your equations and the calculus of how decisions get made. And all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've, <laughs> it's kind of corrupted your, you know, your judgment to some degree, or you've made some people mad and they're going to come get you. I mean, I just, I think in so many ways, it's so much expectation on leaders and yeah, it's, it's tough to have a normal life and raise kids and have a good marriage uh, with all of that happening. So, yeah. In your story, where's the painful part that was really defining in who you are that just made you where you had to make the decision one way or the other? Yeah. Well, I mentioned the house fire that I had in college, which was really sort of my entry into full-time ministry because they were so supportive after that trauma. But yeah, and I'm still processing this. A year and a half ago, um, I was in full-time ministry, had been for a long time. Uh, I stepped into a leadership role uh, in a church that I loved, but at a church that was really a very mission-driven, and I would say a sort of crisis-driven church. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in the creative role, it was great, but I had stepped into more of a leadership role to manage the day-to-day, and it was just, it was too much for me. And I almost knew it from the, from the beginning, but again, I'm the harmonizer, want to make smooth things out, you know, kind of minimize problems and conflicts. And it just, you know, looking back, I've, <laughs> I could talk to myself two years and be like, don't do it. Um, but I, after a few months, I just had to step back and I just, I could see that I was getting unwell. Um, I was facing real burnout. Um, I was starting to manifest symptoms of anxiety and depression, couldn't sleep. Um, and so I made the tough decision to step back, hoping that that would alleviate um, the pain that I was in. And it actually did the opposite. The moment I, I chose to step back, I just spiraled. And I to worry about what am I going to do next? I've been doing this my whole life. Um, the worry about, you know, am I worth anything anymore? Can I still do it? You know, I, depression tends to just close in on you. Um, at one point I, 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 I had trouble sleeping. I had trouble having coherent thoughts. I mean, it, it got really bad. And I had some very close friends and family, uh, including, including my dad, uh, in a very specific way that rallied around me in my most painful, least impressive, least lovable moment, um, and showed me unconditional love and support and rallied to my rescue. And, that, that changed me. I'd gotten really good at telling other people's stories and figuring out the perspective, but I really lost sight of my own. And to be able to be loved when I was the least lovable and to be cared for when I wasn't producing and when I was, you know, this goes back to me as a kid, you know, on a piano and a stage in front of everyone. I just learned this lesson that I'm, I can make people happy by doing something well. Um, and here I was feeling like an absolute failure. And yet I, there were people who surrounded me and loved me. And um, that brought me, I mean, it took time, but that brought me back to life um, in a way I'm still sort of processing. But that's how God, God did some profound healing. But it was, it was through me feeling like my story was finished, that it was over, that I was done. I was just hanging it up. This is how the story ends. And God proving to me that no. <laughs> actually you're wrong. This isn't just your story. Uh, we're in this thing together. And, um, yeah, realizing that I could be loved, uh, even when I wasn't, um, just jamming out great films and great content, but that I could actually be loved for 
who God created me to be in my weakest moment uh, was transformational for me. Well, Brian, I, I really want to thank you. Time flies so much. I, I wanted to bring up um, your Facebook attitude be, just because <laughs> what for our listeners, what Brian does on Facebook is so cool. I mean, he's just not offensive and he asks provocative questions uh, <laughs> from both sides of the political aisle in the spiritual world, makes people think. And the power, it just seems, is because you know try as you want. You're not going to bug him. You're not going to get under his skin. And, um, and I also want to just, you know, you telling other people's stories and tying that into their businesses, as well as helping churches do it is it really just to me as a service. And, and I, I want to thank you for what you're doing. Cause I think a big part of your story is helping other people understand their own. Um, so I'm going to have to close, but Brian, just thanks so much for being here. I, I actually have, I'm not in Southern California this time coming to you from uh, the West side of Phoenix and you in Sonoma. Uh, but one of these days we might uh, get together in the studio where Paula is uh, right now. Absolutely. Have you ever commented negatively about another person and heard the response? Oh, you've just got to get to know them. I naturally kick back against such cliches. I'm not saying that a person is a jerk in some absolute sense. I'm saying their essential relational skills are so repulsive, I don't want to get to know them. Somehow I suspect that that is precisely the kind of arrogance and judgment condemned by holy writ. Lest I am ambiguous, check out these words from Matthew 5 in the New Testament. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Hmm. By contrast, I believe the shortest distance between two points is a story. And the God of the universe is the great author who writes amazing stories with people's lives. Some of these stories have absolutely terrifying chapters, making horror movies seem tame. There may be chapters that include abuse, mental illness, drugs, alcohol, disease, and death. It is tempting to throw the book into the fire and just pick up another one. When reading a new author, I have a rule I have to get through the first 50 pages before I decide to put the book down for good. The rule has served me well. It takes that amount of time for me to adjust to the writer's style and get drawn into the story I was tempted to put down. And a number of books almost went that way, and they ended up becoming my favorites. But wait, why am I talking about other people when I can talk about you? You, do you ever struggle desiring to end your story? Have you ever been so discouraged, depressed, or lonely that you want to die? I get it. Life can be that cruel sometimes. It just can and the Bible doesn't say it will be otherwise. Ask Job or the writer of Ecclesiastes if you doubt me. Two days ago, I sat at dinner with my lifelong best friend, just the two of us. The meal was very pricey northern Italian cuisine, which was exquisite. Over dessert, my friend commented at how impossible it would have been for us to predict the storylines of our life when we were in college to which I replied how impossible it would be for us to predict our lives over the next decade. We smiled, allowing the comfortable silence between us to linger, sipped the final espresso with a taste of gelato, thankful we share a God who is the author, an author who loves his characters, 
and can write the most amazing endings. Your story isn't over. Hope is yours for the taking. Your burden's getting too much. Go ahead. Put them down. Jesus said that. Get back into the story God wants to write in your life. It's worth a thought. For Church Hurts and this is John Bash. Go and enjoy God today, won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is the shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, church hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end and enjoy God today, won't you?